This is the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Michael Hoke. Iran is often at the center of discussions about U.S. foreign policy, but how much of its history do most people really know? What events have shaped Iran as we know it today? What lies at the foundation of Iran's culture and society? Today, I'm joined by Abbas Amanat, professor of history and international studies at Yale University and director of the Yale program in Iranian studies at the Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies. His latest book is Iran, A Modern History. Abbas, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. To start with, where does uh, modern Iran begin? What's the, what's the sort of beginning of modern Iran? Well, yes, that's a disputed uh, debate. It's a uh, point that some scholars, some historians would consider early 20th century as the beginning of modern Iran. Some other historians as the beginning of the 19th century when Iran faced with great powers, European powers in the 19th century. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think we should go back a little bit further into early modern times. That's what historians would call early modern times. That's from the beginning of the 16th century, and they have reasons for that. Perhaps the most significant is that that's the time when a new imperial power, a new empire is shaped in Iran that's called Safavid Empire that survived between 1501 and 1722. Uh, And also more important for the future of Iran is that that is when Iran transformed into a Shiite state. And uh, both the fact that there was a territorial empire, that is the Safavid Empire, and there was Shiism as the official creed of the state, both reinforced each other in order to create a sense of closer identity and the closer sense of belonging to the land. However, one should bear in mind that the collective memory of the Iranians goes far, far back into pre-modern times. That is at least into the late antiquity, that is at least into the 5th, 6th century AD, if not earlier. So in that regard, there was a cultural identity that persisted over the centuries. But with uh, the rise of this new empire in the uh, 16th century, that took more of a geographical or geopolitical uh, property or identity as well. And what was the significance of the uh, Safavid dynasty? Where did they come from and and how did they sort of uh, get the power uh, that they had? Yes, uh, that's also a very fascinating question. Their origins, they were a Sufi order, a mystical Islamic order. Originally, they were Sunni, then they gradually converted into Shism over several generations and became more of a kind of a militant form of Shism, militant in the sense of uh, early, late medieval or early modern times. Eventually, uh, the founder of the dynasty, Ismail uh, I, uh, was um, claiming not only a, a Sufi Shi background, a mystical order background, but also claiming to be from his mother's side, from a Byzantine background, 
so it had a kind of a greater claim uh, competing with the Ottoman Sultan at the time. And that is part of the reason why there was this great uh, animosity and the conflict between the two empires, the Safavid Empire and the much more uh, powerful, much more populated Ottoman Empire at the time, which was probably the greatest military power of its own time. And what were um, early interactions between Iran and the West like? Well, yes, from 17th century onwards, Iran uh, discovered Europe and Europe rather discovered Iran as a natural ally. Um, and the uh, that is uh, uh, enemy of an enemy is a friend. Uh, the European powers at the time, the Habsburgs, both uh, in Austria and in uh, Spain, uh, as well as other European powers, thought that Iran at the time of Abbas I, perhaps the greatest ruler of the 17th century Iran, would provide a very uh, important ally for the Europeans to try to divert some of the pressure on the Christian frontiers of Europe by the Ottomans. Uh, that was partly because of the fact that Abbas I had managed to uh, defeat uh, the Ottomans in the war and recapture much of the territory that it was lost to Iran earlier on to the Ottomans. The other reason for it is that it was the opening of the long-term, uh, uh, long, long-distance long, long trade and uh, the fact that uh, this maritime European empires, first the Portuguese, then the... Uh, uh, Dutch and the British East India Company all found in Iran a, a possibility for trade, most significant is silk trade in the course of the 17th century. Iran competed with both Europe, that is with Italy, and also with China, the most important supplier of silk at the time. And we should recognize that silk was a very important commodity in the 17th century since it's at a great use in all the courts of Europe and among the aristocracy in Europe. And so did did Iran generally have favorable uh, relations with a lot of these countries? For most of the time, yes. Yeah. Iran was very welcoming towards uh, Europeans and towards uh, Christians as a whole, one would say, um, even at the time of Abbas in the 17th century, right up to the 18th century, there were even Christian missionaries in Iran. There was a large Armenian community that was resettled from the homeland, the Armenia, the, uh, the community in Jolfa, brought into the city of Esfahan, and they were very important in the development of the Iranian trade and the crafts in the course of 17th and 18th century. They survived right up to the present. Uh, so there was a kind of a more f favorable attitude towards the Europeans all the way up to, one might say, the beginning of the 19th century. In the beginning of the 19th century, Iran, not under the Safavids, but under the Rajars, witnessed a very different Europe. This was a Europe of the two great powers, the Russian Empire in northern Iran, uh, and the British Empire of India in the Persian Gulf in the south. And uh, as a result of loss of some territory uh, to particularly the Russian Empire, but also to some extent to the British, the attitude of the Iranians gradually changed. Of course, that's not the entire reason. 
part of the other reason for this change of attitude in the 19th century is the growth and the prominence of the religious establishment, the Shi'i religious establishment, that particularly had a certain, uh, one might say, um, uh, amb- ambivalent attitude towards uh, non-Muslims, uh, particularly non-Shiites. So that attitude gradually changed. But even, even one would say, all the way up to perhaps the early decades of the 20th century, the attitude, attitude towards the Westerners um, was positive, certainly towards the Americans. And what was driving that sort of rise of Shiism uh, in Iran at this point in time? Well, there were pockets of Shi'i communities in Iran ever since the rise of Islam. I mean, the early first century of Islam. And Iran was always a kind of a welcoming environment for many of the Shi'i dissidents who escaped from the Sunni uh, states or the Sunni power uh, in uh, in the neighboring lands. Uh, so Shi'ism was kind of incorporated into the Iranian uh, culture very early. But from the Safavid times onward, rather by force, rather brutally, the Safavids um, forced the entire population to, to convert into Shi'ism. That brought about, on the one hand, a greater degree of homogeneity and the sense of uh, national in- integration. On the other hand, it created a sense of, uh, uh, one might say, uh, um, self versus the other. Uh, namely, that it gave the Iranians a sense that there are special communities, a sense of exceptionalism. Of course, exceptionalism is not something that it's only uh, uh, particular about Iran. Many of the nations, many of the communities, including the United States, have this sense of unfolding destiny. So the Iranian case is in more or less similar. Uh, however, Shiism in Iran had other reasons for being so strong among the uh, uh, general public, at least from late 17th century, early 18th century, when it fully, Iran was fully internalized Shiism. Uh, and that is that uh, the myths and the, uh, uh, the uh, tragedies of early Shi'i history uh, became very much part and parcel of uh, Iranian sense of self. Uh, so it was not only a kind of a legal system or a religious authorities or the religious establishment, but it was also the kind of schism for the general public, for the for the popular uh, uh, level, a popular understanding of religion that appeared in passion plays, appeared in numerous mourning ceremonies that became more and more popular in the course of the modern times in Iran. And why was the Islamic Revolution so important? Yes. Well, it's uh, quite a, actually a reversal, one might say. What I've just described about Shiism uh, is a side that by and large was not political. It was not uh, engaged itself with political power. One of the major features of 
at least uh, establishment, she establishment was that it kind of recognized a church state uh, uh, separation of power. But in the 20th century, that changed. Um, and indeed, um, partly it was due to the process of reforms that was undertaken by a centralized state, that's the Pahlavi state in the latter half of the 20th century, or one might say from the 1920s onwards, in the course of which um, many of the institutions and monopolies of power in the hands of the religious establishment, uh, the Shia religious establishment, was taken away from them. Uh, the judiciary became a secular judiciary and codified according to modern standards. Uh, the uh, uh, modern public education um, was introduced uh, from the turn of the 20th century, even a little bit earlier. Um, the uh, uh, religious endowments, which was uh, substantive, and it was mostly in the control of the uh, religious authorities, the jurists class, was taken away from them and centralized in the hand of the state. Even their control over the mosques where they had their congregations, when they were communicating with their congregations, lost its significance for a time period. As a result of that, the religious establishment gradually shifted away from the position of coexistence with the state, which was its traditional uh, uh, kind of a doctrine uh, of not interfering with the, with the uh, state, with the affairs of the states. Sometimes they criticize the states, but they never had the ambition really to take over or be turned into a radical force against the state. But that gradually changed in the latter part of the 20th century. What you see in the life of Ayatollah Khomeini, who is the founder of the Islamic Republic, and many of his older generation of supporters and followers is this experience of gradual shift in the attitude of the uh, uh, of, of many of the jurists or many of the mullahs, if you like to call them, from the older traditional uh, ways of dealing with the state to this kind of a force of opposition against the state. And speaking of uh, the Ayatollah, where did that the role of Ayatollah come from, and and why why is it important? Uh, why is it such an important role? Uh, yes, uh, the jurists uh, ever since the sixteenth century, when the a uh, new generation of the jurists came to power with the Safavids, they always maintained a degree of respect and support within the uh, community. Uh, since they were the jurists, they were the uh, source of emulation, that is that people would follow their rulings, uh, pretty much like what you want the priesthood in, the, uh, in, in Christianity, um, and maintained a certain uh, kind of a exceptional elite position in the society. Yet at the same time, it's always it's part of the Iranian culture, I suppose, that we can see that at the same time there was great, a great degree of cynicism and uh, to the extent even uh, sometimes uh, uh, yeah, 
passive rejection of uh, religious authorities, sometimes in form of messianic movements, a very active opposition to the religious establishment that were considered more and more in the course of the 19th and 20th century as being uh, regressive, as being uh, conservative, reactionary, not willing to accept the changes that it's necessary, the reforms and modernization, uh, pretty much uh, uh, hanging to their traditional uh, beliefs and attitudes and way of life and forcing the society to follow them in the same way. That kind of an attitude uh, gradually changed uh, the position of the religious establishment, made them more resentful in a sense, because no longer they were as popular. They were actually the state basically humiliated them by removing away all of this authority from them, all of this influence in the society from them. And therefore, their position gradually changed. Now, as far as the Ayatollah is concerned, this is just a title, meaning a sign of God. This is more or less late 19th century, early 20th century title. Earlier on in Shi history, never a religious figure was referred to as such grand uh, title. But these titles actually experienced a great de degree of what you would call inflation over the course of time. If, if you would uh, look at many of the early uh, scholars uh, slash jurists of the earlier times, they usually referred to as mullahs, and they were very proud of it. There were nothing wrong with the title. But by the 20th century, that those titles were depreciated. So they needed, as they basically lost greater respect in the society, they had to inflate these positions in order to maintain a certain degree of respectability in the society. And that's why you would see that these grand titles emerges. Why it is significant? Because in this period of this uh, gap between the turn of the 20th century and perhaps 1960s, 1970s, uh, their um, relative absence, not entire absence, but their relative absence as a great source of power and influence in the society gave them a different kind of a mystique, particularly for somebody like Ayatollah Khomeini, who was in exile himself earlier on he had a certain appeal to a more, the classes in the uh, society that were not particularly happy with the reforms of the Pahlavi state, particularly with repression, particularly with the, the lack of an open political environment in which they would be able to voice their opinions and their criticism of the state. Therefore, the, ch the, the mosque took that kind of a role, and with it, these religious authorities began to gain a kind of a new popularity within particularly the lower classes of the Iranians. Where does Iran today see itself on the global stage? It's a great question. Uh, we hear a lot, as late as yesterday, actually, um, that Iran has these great uh, ambitions, uh, in the regional ambitions, that stretches from the Mediterranean probably to the Indian Ocean. Uh, some of it may be true. 
uh, although we never have enough uh, inner uh, uh, details or data to try to see how much of this uh, perception is uh, actually true. Uh, but it is possible to say that it has uh, a certain regional ambition that comes from the Pahlavi era. It, this, in many ways, is just continuity of what was the case in the, early, in the middle decades of the uh, 20th century, 1960s, 1970s. And Iran always felt that it has a right over the, uh, it's a kind of a, uh, a particular prominent place in the Persian Gulf and that it brings it into certain uh, uh, certain um, conflict, might, one might say, with uh, Saudi Arabia uh, today, and although much of it really comes from the Saudis rather than from the side of the Iranians. Uh, there is also this ancient ties that Iran always had with southern Iraq. That's because of the Shi'i community of southern Iraq is very closely tied to Iran, or perhaps some some ways you can say the entire Iraq had certain affinity with Iran. And Syria, this is something that it's recently developed from the time of the revolution. Syrian state, this is the Basist state in Syria, supported the Iranian revolution during the war with Iraq for its own reasons. And now Iranians also have that kind of an interest. I think the regional uh, posture to some extent depends on the degree that they feel they are threatened from the outside world. All this talk about the regime change is part of the reason. Also, this the degree of, particularly in terms of their domestic politics, a certain paranoia about the outside world that is threatening them and its very foundation is being, uh, being under uh, some kind of a uh, scrutiny. Uh, and uh, as such, their domestic politics is particularly problematic. The human rights violation, the oppression, day every day that you hear a new story about the way that the general public in Iran are treated by the state. And more and more, the project of the Islamic Republic to try to Islamicize Iran has actually, it seems to me, failed. The general public in Iran majority of the Iranians, probably if you want to put a figure, 80%, 90% of the Iranian people are not favorable towards the uh, present regime in Iran. So that's another misperception that people would think that the entire population of 80 million Iranians are all supporters of the Islamic Republic. All right. Well, the book is Iran, A Modern History. Abbas, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. That does it for this week's episode. You can find more at yalebooks.yale.edu or on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your favorite app. And if you like what we're doing, please subscribe and leave us a rating. It really helps out.